You're listening to HSBC Talks Business. Learn how businesses like yours are leveraging a wide range of banking solutions to maximize their success and how HSBC is helping them. Listeners should note that this episode has been recorded remotely. Therefore, the sound quality may vary. Thank you for listening. Welcome to Inspiring Progressive Business, a podcast series for SMEs. Join us for insights from inspirational business leaders, entrepreneurs, and experts on key topics of importance to your business. Cybersecurity cost the global economy an estimated 2.5 trillion US dollars in 2020, and that is expected to double to 2025. Now, COVID-19 pandemic aside, cybersecurity remains the single greatest disruption to most of our organizations. And there's a misconception really that it is a technical problem for which we need to spend lots of money and find an IT related solution. And what we're going to talk about today are simple, logical things that you can do as business owners, people with significant interest in growing effective businesses to reduce that exposure. Now, if there were physical crimes against your business, whether it be vandalism, theft, arson, people defacing your goods, your property, you would react and you would change how you operate. Now, because we don't physically see cyber threat in the same way, we don't always respond. So we don't do simple things like add antivirus onto all of our mobile devices or change default router passwords or make sure that we have effective password security on admin accounts. All of these things are very non-technical, very simple. They just rely on us engaging with and acting upon the risk that is prevalent. Back six, seven, eight years ago, cyber criminals were looking to steal money and credentials primarily. So banks, insurance companies, they were the top targets. We've seen a clear shift now from an era of data theft and cyber attacks against financial institutions to what we would call operational disruption. The targeting of those critical utilities, manufacturing, logistics, all of the things that you rely on for your business. And that's what makes you more vulnerable now to second order, third order effect than it would have done five years ago. If your bank suffered from a cyber attack, that was your bank's problem to deal with. If any money was lost, you would be reimbursed. But if your energy company, if your water company, if a critical supplier that provides components to you is victim of a cyber attack, then you will still be impacted. So a lot of this is now about understanding from start to finish how cyber can impact our supply chain and our operations and what we can do to make ourselves more resilient so that we can continue to grow and continue to be successful. More and more people are becoming capable of conducting cyber attacks as vulnerabilities to equipment, applications, software become more regularly published online and people have access to that. If I use the attack about five or six years ago on one of the UK's largest internet service providers, TalkTalk, that was conducted by a teenage boy who had a £300 laptop from a local supplier. He managed to cost that organisation over £100 million with just 300 or 400 pounds worth of investment. And most of the skills that are needed to conduct a cyber attack can actually be learned through YouTube. As business owners, what can we do to manage the threat of cyber? Well, we can reduce that opportunity. And in a lot of ways, this is the only thing that we can influence. Now, 
all criminals are after an easy life. They look for quick return and they look for reducing consequence of being caught or found out as a priority for their operations. Something that most of us will focus on when it comes to cybersecurity is the regulatory impact and considerations. So potential fines and sanctions from the regulators that are associated with data security or loss of potential customer data. And that is where most of us focus our policy and focus our efforts in terms of protecting that data and information so that we don't succumb to potential regulatory fines. And whilst that should be a consideration, increasingly it shouldn't be the driver for our cybersecurity strategy or prioritization. Increasingly, there is an operational impact that outweighs the regulatory consideration. Now, what happens if we are working in manufacturing and we suddenly can't manufacture the components or their assets or meet customer demand and timelines because we have been victim of a cyber attack? We need to think about the potential operational consequences if we lose our operations due to a cyber attack. And the key consideration for businesses moving forward should arguably now be the reputational impact of a cyber attack against our businesses. And this focuses on our expectation. And think about yourselves here. If you go to log on to your online banking or you go to book a train or a flight on an app or you want to simply watch something on Netflix and that application is not available, you are immediately distraught because we have an absolute expectation that the services will be available all of the time. However, if we are the victim of a cyber attack and we lose the ability to provide our customers with their expectations, studies show that a minimum of 33% of customer base would consider no longer using our services or working with us. And that can increase to up to 70% dependent upon the service that we provide. A lot of our cybersecurity strategy has been about protecting data as much as we possibly can because we fear maybe having a data breach and getting a fine from the regulator. And that has potentially made us vulnerable to operational damage or reputational damage as a result of our services not being available and online. And criminal groups and threats will always adapt. So the global cost of cybercrime continues to increase almost exponentially year on year. One of the primary methods is through social engineering. Over 90% of cyber attacks now happen through social engineering, the art of manipulating people. Why are people targeted over technology? Because technology is logical. Technology doesn't get tired or have a bad day. As long as it is kept up to date, technology is consistent. People are not. And therefore, cyber threat groups have realized in terms of percentage chance of success, manipulating people is more effective. And the first stage that they look at when they're looking at any business is information gathering and reconnaissance. And this is where they look at you. Now, small to medium-sized enterprises have been the fastest growing attack targets for the last three to five years. Above your large corporates and above your government-led services. Why? Because you have economic value, you are heavily connected, you are out there shouting about the success that your business has achieved, but you have not yet invested in the infrastructure to protect you in the same way that large organizations have. And I don't necessarily mean financially invested. I mean invested the time or the priority in building cyber resilience. So cyber threat groups will seek to attack potentially 100 small to medium-sized enterprises every single day. 
and they will spend three to five minutes deciding on whether you as an organization are someone worth attacking. And they will do that by browsing companies' databases, your websites, things like LinkedIn to identify what you do and whether you are worth disrupting. They use that investigation and research to establish a relationship or rapport with someone within the business. They do that by pretending to be somebody that has a legitimate business or sometimes personal interest in connecting and doing business with you. And all they are seeking to do is use that person as an entry point. Think of all of your staff and yourself, anybody that uses a device within your business as a door or a window. Cyber threat groups are seeking to find the softest, the most accessible door or window into your business because that allows them to exploit and then execute. Now, within small businesses, they are looking for a ransom payment for disruption. Over 80% of businesses will pay, but what does that tell threat groups? Well, that tells threat groups that you do not have a contingency in place, that you are not resilient enough to prevent or recover from a cyber attack. And so you will be targeted again. And next time they will ask for twice as much. And the time after that, they will ask for four times as much. So a lot of this is about understanding how these threat groups operate and building simple contingency. The thing I want to focus on here are emails. Every 60 seconds, we are up to 188 million emails being sent around the world every single minute. No matter how complex the cyber attack, what it does when it has been initiated, whether it is against NASA, CIA, Facebook, Google, a major bank, or a small independent business, over 90% of cyber attacks still start with email. They are not magical. Cyber attacks do not just happen. They need a delivery method. So actually, if we become better at dealing with emails, we can mitigate 90% of our cyber risk more or less immediately. Now, the first thing we need to understand about our organizations is what is actually already out there and being used by cyber criminals. And please don't already think because you're a, a smaller or growing business that there is not information out there about your organization potentially being used by criminal groups. This then brings us back to password security. One of the most common attacks for small to medium enterprises is what's called password stuffing, where somebody's credentials have been exposed. They identify your username and password, and they work on the basis that you probably don't have the same password policy password management tools, automated password change features that a lot of large organizations or government bodies would enforce. So they simply try that username and password combination on any application that they can see related to your organization. And that's how a lot of people end up losing access and being exploited. There are over 10 billion corporate usernames and passwords that are exposed on the deep web and dark web at any given time. Only 50% of people around the world actually change their password after it has been involved in a data breach, most of them because they don't know. So start thinking about how we better manage passwords. Now, we've all had those emails in that look like they are from legitimate suppliers, even our own organizations. And that is because people, often for a couple of dollars, can buy very similar domains. So how do we block these sorts of things? Well, the first way is to be aware that they exist. It's to be aware that people may have domains similar to ours registered, 
Now, they may use these to attack internally towards your organization, but they equally may use these to pretend to be your organization. So the first part of our resilience strategy is understanding what is already out there about our organization and how it may be used. That includes LinkedIn. LinkedIn is the start point for many, many cyber attacks because it creates an absolute picture of who is involved with our organization. Now, this is what is called a harvesting profile. It's estimated anywhere between one in six and one in 20 LinkedIn profiles is actually automated and being run by criminal groups seeking to scrape information to start a cyber attack. Now, one of the big growing threats this year is exposure and compromise of corporate LinkedIn accounts. It causes significant reputational damage. You can have whatever control over your internal systems you like, but your employee or staff LinkedIn accounts are something that you cannot control, but effectively they represent your business in the public domain. So whilst it's something that you can't control, the security levels of people's LinkedIn accounts are essentially something that you should influence. LinkedIn had a huge data breach earlier this year and last year. It's been victim of data breaches a number of times. Most people have never changed their passwords. Those credentials are being sold. What do you feel the reputational damage would be if a client or somebody else in your professional sphere received a virus from your or one of your staff LinkedIn accounts that looked like it came from you? The judgment is that your organization has provided a virus to them or their organization. So whilst it isn't part of your network, it is reputationally something that is associated with you in cyberspace. So security of LinkedIn accounts, multi-factor authentication, changing of passwords, and being sure that the people that we are connecting to are who we say they are. Those sorts of considerations increase your resilience and reduce your attack surface as an organization. Now, you should not be susceptible as an organization to phishing from a personal level, on your Hotmail, Yahoo, Gmail, potentially, but not personally. Phishing is the fraudulent practice of sending emails purporting to be from reputable companies in order to induce individuals to reveal personal information that could be your passwords or your credit cards. Now, your business email and your antivirus should stop generic phishing. What you are potentially victim to is what we call spear phishing. This is where emails are sent from known or trusted senders, so people that you would expect to receive communication from, to induce targeted individuals. So 91% of successful cyber attacks now start with a spear phishing email. 99% of those documents and links rely on some kind of social engineering, so that reconnaissance that they have done online, and they work on a 65% chance of success against small to medium-sized organizations. So it's about how we reduce that threat and increase our resilience. And now, most importantly, we'll discuss mitigation. The first thing is to understand what is visible about our organization to external parties and potentially malicious actors, what email addresses or passwords may be compromised, but also which email is most prominent in the public domain. Now, usually this is our inquiries, our info, our contact email addresses. We are far more likely to receive cyber attacks via email to those generic mailboxes. And therefore, the people that access those mailboxes should be more aware, should be more vigilant, and we should consider 
the systems and devices that we access those mailboxes on should not necessarily be connected to anything else that is operationally critical to our business. Also think about your company's social media policies. As discussed, any social media account that references your organization or your organization's activity could potentially compromise your reputation if it is exploited because your customers or your suppliers or other people that operate within your professional sector will see that as being a compromise of your IT and infrastructure if somebody's social media account is used to spread on anything malicious or negative. So ensuring that your employees have their accounts effectively secured. Now, invoice fraud continues to be a global problem with over 12 billion in false invoices paid over 2020. This is all about process. As an organization, you should never pay an invoice where somebody has changed their account details or to a new supplier until you have confirmed they are accurate on the phone or in person with a trusted contact. It is very common for generic accounts, email accounts to be compromised, and you do not know that the person that you are communicating with via email is legitimately somebody that is employed by that organization. Now, with that one in particular, your banks and financial institutions are not necessarily liable to repay that money if you pay an invoice and you okay the checks that are provided where you say, yes, you are sure it is legitimate. Think about the technical requirement to increase our email security. And equally, our payment systems are probably the most sensitive systems that we use. They have access to our invoicing. They have access to our clients' financial details, potentially. And the fact that we are most likely to be compromised on systems that are involved with email, web chat, internet browsing, mean that we should probably think about not using those systems to make payments or to deal with invoicing. And we reduce the threat of compromise from outside influencers and actors. Why do we do that? Because we need to protect from malware, so computer viruses. It is your job to stop malware from entering your networks and disrupting your operations. And that is increasingly difficult to do because there are 250,000 new strains of malware developed every single week. Increasingly, malware as a service is an issue where cyber criminals don't need the technical competency to develop these vulnerabilities. They buy them from somebody else. That means there are exponentially more threat groups that are now capable. And they are shifting towards operationally disruptive malware. So actually, it is less complex in its structure. Malware used to try and quietly navigate into your systems, sit in the background and steal. Ransomware now dominates the market and there is nothing subtle about ransomware. A human being must make the mistake. They click on something, the screen will pop up and say it is locked and they want a payment to get it back. None of that can happen unless people allow it to. Take that two seconds to hover over a link and if it is not taking you to where it says it's taking you to, if there are just a garble of numbers and letters in the corner, or it simply doesn't look right, you wait and you don't execute in the same way that you look left and right, and you wait until the traffic has passed before you cross the road. By following that very, very simple advice, we reduce our cyber exposure by over 90%. Increasingly, malware is being used to target manufacturing, infrastructure, and government services, the things that impact 
our operational capability and our supply chain. And the first thing that we need to ensure is that we are patching and updating our systems, our devices, and our networks. Now, in reality, there are 250 to 300 attempted cyber attacks every single minute. You are far more likely to be exposed and exploited if you do not patch and update. Antivirus and anti-malware, whilst I've also said that human beings are the best solution, antivirus, anti-malware will still stop over 98% of the legacy viruses that are out there. And where we make the mistake with this one is that everybody understands that antivirus, anti-malware should be on a PC. But actually, how many of us now open all of their emails on a PC? How many of us actually spend hours and hours on that mobile device? And we do our internet browsing, and then we open our emails, and we click on our links, and we do the same on messages. And when the battery is low, what do we do? We plug it into anything else we can find. And that's how malware then spreads around our corporate network. The only real way of responding from a cyber attack without paying ransoms and money is to flush and clear the malware out of the system and restore from backup. But it is no good in taking those backups every week and every month and not checking that they work. So don't just back up, check once every six months or once a year that what you are backing up is actually there. And if you need to restore it, it works. Do not just rely on third-party cloud service providers to run your backups for you. Yes, it may be in the cloud, but the cloud is just a server in somebody else's data warehouse. If it is absolutely essential to your business, you take ownership and you keep it. And then understand your service level agreements with your cloud service providers. Now, using cloud service providers is a positive for small and medium-sized enterprises. If your service goes down, or indeed if their service goes down to a cyber attack, how quickly do they feel you will be back up and running again if you're using a third-party provider? Because cloud service providers are heavily attacked by cyber threat groups. The smaller the cloud service provider, the more likely they are to be attacked because they don't have the same level of resilience as somebody like Amazon may have with hundreds of thousands of backup servers. So understand your business continuity measures. If you are outsourcing the service, you are outsourcing the risk. And that is fine as long as we understand how quickly they can respond if we need to be up and running again. Now, emerging risks and the Internet of Things. We now have 50 billion everyday objects connected to the Internet. But only one in five of those devices are effectively secured and they increasingly provide vulnerabilities to your organization. So whoever is responsible for IT security is not just responsible for the PCs, the laptops, the phones. Any device within your organization that connects to the internet is potentially an open door or window to your organization. Now, whether that be an internet-connected coffee machine, an alarm system, security cameras increasingly are not secured from a corporate perspective. And we need to think of it as such and evaluate the risk. So think about a risk assessment and review of all of your internet-connected devices because increasingly, cyber criminals, why would they try and break in and compromise your organization via a PC that has effective firewalls, antivirus, lots of good technology, when you actually have an unsecured printer or a TV with no firewall, no security, that they can see from the outside world and they can send a virus to. And then they'll allow that virus to spread through your network. So all of these things, TVs, printers, cameras, 
internet-connected air fresheners can all cause vulnerabilities. So think more broadly about what cyberspace is. Now, if you are a business that is 100% reliant on web sales or your website or services being active, distributed denial of service is your number one operational threat as an organization. Distributed denial of service or DDoS is where your website or service is just flooded with traffic. What this does is it initially slows down your sites, you will then lose them completely and you can't access any of your data. What does that mean for you? Well, it means that these attacks are often used during your key sales periods of the year. Why do they do it? Because it's very, very easy. We've connected so many devices to Wi-Fi that don't have security. It's an easy attack for them to conduct and they don't actually need to access your network. At no point will they breach your firewall, gain access to customer data. They simply stop your services from being available to everybody else. If web access is critical to you, you may have been subject to distributed denial of service already, but it is increasingly being used as a ransom technique. So the larger the cloud service provider, the more servers that they have. If one server goes down because of distributed denial of service, the easier it is for them to move your service onto another server. So you continue to operate. If you are self-hosting or hosting with a smaller cloud service provider, then your risk increases. Consider next generation firewalls that will actually identify this traffic early and stop it. Partitioning critical services from high value targets. So if you have all of your services, and that is very common in the early days of starting up as a business, your service providers will encourage you to put everything on the same IP address range or even on the same server because it's more cost effective for you to do so. As you grow, you then need to manage the risk of maybe spreading that onto different services. And yes, it may cost a little bit more, but it means that if one service goes down, all of your services don't go down. You can then look at static and backup versions of your website. Costs very little to do. You already know what your website looks like, but it means that if your primary goes down, you can quickly roll out a backup and your service remains available. Very quick, very cost effective. I would say 99% of organizations are reactive to distributed denial of service. When in fact, if you are absolutely web dependent, it should be something that we're thinking about now. We're going to discuss what is known as a rogue access attack. This is when an attacker sets up a rogue access point to look like that of a legitimate hotspot. So I may be sat in Starbucks and I will set up a network and I will call it Starbucks super fast. Now, the first thing that I will do when I'm sat into Starbucks is I will ask you to accept and connect. When you connect, that then allows me to download something that compromises your device. It mitigates your VPN, virtual private networks, dependent upon the region that you are in, are great for business, but all they do is encrypt your traffic on an unsecure connection. If your device is compromised, VPNs do not help you. So they will then ask you to accept and connect while you sit there quietly having your coffee in an airport lounge, on the train, in your hotel, wherever you may be, and they'll be in the background stealing everything that you are doing. Threat groups are increasingly realizing that it is difficult to breach corporate networks. Attacking businesses at their point of business is tricky because you have cybersecurity measures in place. 
Now, when you go for a coffee, when you go to a hotel, when you're in an airport or on a train, all of that infrastructure is gone. You are the last line of defense. And if you or employees make a decision to join a Wi-Fi network that is not legitimate, you essentially compromise your device and your entire organization due to the need to connect. The second attack that is becoming more popular, and we are all guilty of this, is what is called a man in the middle. Now, this is enabled by the fact that we do not turn our Wi-Fi and our Bluetooth off when we are not connected to something. All an attack group do is replicate a frequency that they think your device will recognize. This could be a hotspot, it could be a common coffee shop or a hotel. Very easy to replicate that frequency and your device will connect without you knowing anything about it. So again, this comes down to human behavior and decision-making. Now, mitigation then. Understanding that public Wi-Fi is never secure. I've never met anybody that has read Wi-Fi terms and conditions, but effectively it is saying this network is not secure. The information could be compromised. Do not do anything sensitive. Now, a lot of people use virtual private networks to navigate that, but equally the best solution is to use your data services. Wi-Fi is never secure and entering a password does not make it secure. Anybody on that network potentially compromise you. Personal data services, 3G, 4G, 5G, provide far greater security. Use your mobile hotspots. That is a personal network for you and it is encrypted to you. Wi-Fi and Bluetooth, as we've discussed, can be exploited. So turn them off if not connected to something, whether that be headphones, your vehicle or something in the house. They are absolutely fine to be on when you're in the car, when you're in the house. It's just considering when you're not using them. Equally think about Bluetooth connectivity of things like televisions, printers, watches, speaker systems, other devices that potentially have Bluetooth connections and are not connected. Just because a network has the right name does not mean that it is a legitimate network. Increasingly, attackers will use things like superfast, executive, first class, VIP. Always check exactly what the Wi-Fi is called in the locations you are in. Do not just assume that because of the name, it is legitimate. And then consider which devices in your workplace potentially have those open connections, as we discussed with our Internet of Things. Corporate devices you can control. Personal devices you cannot. One in four personal devices has been compromised to malware at some stage. So think about, one, whether you want staff to be using their personal devices, because it doesn't matter how secure your applications are. If a device is compromised, potentially the application is compromised. And equally, plugging those personal devices into your corporate network, just because that battery goes low, does not mean that there should be a USB cable hanging out the back of a PC in your workplace or, or any other asset to charge it. Think about a firm air gap between personal devices and your corporate network. Now, if there's one thing that you take away, both personally and for your family, it is about the compromise of your home router password. Over 80% of the default passwords for home routers are publicly available and exposed online. If there is one thing that criminal networks discuss, it is how to exploit and use the Wi-Fi of somebody else if they have not changed their default password. If your home router is exposed, Every single device connected within your home is potentially vulnerable and at risk. Now, 
Most organisations didn't, but all organisations should have insisted on staff changing their default router passwords before they started to work from home. Over 80% of those passwords are freely available online. All people have to do is, when you are connected at home, type in the IP address on the back of the router. It will then bring up your admin login and change that password. Change it to something complex. Don't change it to something like password. If your router is compromised or somebody that is working from home's router is compromised, every corporate device that you then connect is potentially vulnerable. Also consider segregation. Now, if you are working on things that are business sensitive on the same Wi-Fi network that your teenage children are gaming and browsing the internet, you are potentially creating vulnerability. Now, most routers, if you log on, will now let you create segregated networks. Think about having a network that you use for business and for home and one that the family use for their everyday activities. Very quick and easy to do, reduces the risk of that contamination from personal activity to how you are running your business. So an extra element of protection between your personal and professional activities. Think about reducing the range of Wi-Fi signal at home. Again, you can do this within the settings when you log in to most routers, but they may be built with a default range of 500 meters. Now, you do not need all of your neighbors in your street or in your apartment to be able to see your Wi-Fi, especially if you haven't changed the policy. Because if there's one thing that criminals know is that if you're going to conduct criminal activity online, you don't use your own Wi-Fi because there are plenty of default passwords available that you could use. Think about the risk versus the benefit. If a device is compromised, your services, your data, your organization is potentially compromised as well. So to summarize, cybersecurity is not an IT issue. It isn't something that we should be outsourcing as business owners to IT professionals. It is a business continuity, operational and reputational issue. It is less and less about data theft, more and more about how they can disrupt our business operations and damage our reputation and charge us for the privilege of getting those things back. And over 90% of attacks are facilitated by human error. It is increasingly less technical. Cyberspace is more than your laptop and your data service. Cyberspace is everything that you connect to the internet. So the first consideration is always, do I need to connect it? What value does that connection add to me? And if the answer to that is nothing and there isn't, then disconnect it. Think about the exposure your organization already has. Which email addresses, which individuals are most likely to be victim to social engineering? And then educate and potentially isolate the systems that those people work on from critical parts of your network. Control and access your backups. This is your organization, your blood, sweat, tears, your intellectual property do not just rely on the cloud to hold everything that is dear to you. Take your own backups, ensure that they are accessible and they actually work. Evaluate your incident response service level agreements so that if you are victim of an attack, resilience centers around how we respond to that attack. How quickly can we get our services back up and running? What is the downtime? That is what affects our operations and our reputation. So we need to understand what the service level agreement is with our cloud service providers. And if you are web or data service dependent, consider what contingency plans you have in place. Something as simple as a static version of the website that can be rolled out over the top 
spreading your services over multiple servers. So if you, one is attacked, you still have the others that are accessible. These are all the sorts of considerations for a growing business that increase our resilience. And of course, increased home and remote working has brought new and evolving threats. Think about policies around social media, changing those default router passwords, segregating networks. And whilst you have far less control over what people do at home, when those devices come back to the corporate network, think about the checks that you would take. You need to stop applying cyber thought process in a different way to physical thought process. The risks are the same, you just don't see them in the same way. This has been a special production of our inspiring progressive business mini-series. There will be more episodes focusing on a number of different topics such as starting your green journey, being cyber resilient and how having a purpose-led mindset could benefit your business. Please listen out for those. Thank you for joining us for HSBC Talks Business. To learn more about anything you heard today, please visit business.hsbc.com.